We are in part two of our series, The Book of Daniel. And uh, what is the Book of Daniel all about? It's about when the meanest, the, the, the baddest empire the world has ever seen, the Babylonian empire came knocking on Jerusalem door. And what they do, they take Jerusalem into captivity. So you've got God's people, the Jewish people, taken out of, from their lands, and they've been brought to a foreign land, to, the, to, to Babylonia. Brought there, and there they find themselves in this land that is so different to theirs. And they're there, and, and, they're, and the biggest question for them is, how do they worship God in a society that's going in totally the opposite direction? And where the currents of that society is pushing against you. Have you ever been, have you ever been in water when, current, when a current is pushing against you? Well, in the beginning of the year, Beginning of the year, we, we took our family on holiday to the Coromandel, a beautiful place, the Coromandel here in New Zealand, Nolteiro. We went to Cook's Beach, and uh, we're there at, at, in this estuary, and, and this beautiful estuary, and, and the sea's just over here. And uh, our kids and our friends, so they'll cross the other side of the estuary, and there's a, sw- a swing rope from the tree into the water, having lots of fun. And so I was going to swim across, swim across there to where everyone is, and, and, and the tide's going up. Tide's going out, out from this estuary out into the sea. And no problem, I've, I've swum this many times with the tide going, I had no issues. However, this time around, my 16-year-old daughter wanted me to tow her while she's hanging onto my neck. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, oh, let's go, let's go. So we jump in the water, and I'm doing the breaststroke, right? I've got good form, pretty strong, pretty good. I'm going, I'm going as hard as I can, hard as I can, hard as I can. And after a couple of minutes, just, just swimming across there, I lift up my head, we're not even halfway. In fact, we're 100 meters down the river. I mean, down the river, down this history. Uh, see, as hard as I can, with, with, with all great intentions that we have, it's, the, it's these, these currents that push against us. And if we're not aware of these currents, we can find ourselves swept away, swept away. And this is what the book of Daniel is all about. Right? It's all, it's all about finding ourselves in a society where, where the current is pushing against us. And how do we serve God? How do we serve God when, when the society that we're living in is pushing against us? Where most of what society believes is totally the opposite of what God believes and is pushing against us. How do we navigate those waters? I mean, being a Christian is hard. So when following Jesus becomes comfortable for me, that's when I need to ask this question. You know, am I following Jesus as much as I should be? Because sometimes it is just easy just to give up and just go with it, right? Isn't it, isn't it so easy just to just go with the flow? It gets so hard to be a Christian at times. You just want to just, I'll just go with what everyone else is doing. But to live by Jesus' teaching and to do it as a community, it means to jump into the waters and swim against the current. I mean, how do we stay confident in a crisis? How do we stay confident in a crisis? If you're looking for a, a, a message for today's, today's message, a title for today's message, it is crisis, uh, confidence in the crisis. Confidence in the crisis. That's today's title. I mean, God's people throughout history have been the minority counterculture wherever they've found themselves in, throughout a millennia. Wherever Christian community followers of Jesus have found themselves, they've always been the minority and they've always been the counter, counterculture to whatever areas they find themselves in. It takes no efforts to stop and just get carried along. Here's me swimming as hard as I can. Honestly, if I just stop swimming, stop swimming, it's so easy just to be carried along. It's so easy. It takes strength to keep swimming against the current. It takes so much strength. So it raises a question. What is going to motivate you? What is going to give you energy for a lifetime of swimming against the current? 
And that's what the book of Daniel is all about. So you ready to get into God's word this morning? Okay, now the book of Daniel chapter 2. It's the biggest, it's the biggest chapter in all of the book of Daniel. It's a big, 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 big chapter. So here we go. We're going to go through it. We're going to go through it. And then um, some parts we're just going to keep going to some of the main points. I encourage you to go back, read the book of Daniel in your own time. After this message, uh, I'll tell you what, you'll benefit from it if you go back and read it. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Well, that's quite profound, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Anybody have a dream before? Here we go. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Anybody have nights like that? So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the, the astrologers, basically whoever can. Come on, you, all of you come. Tell me what my dream means, right? When they came and they stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means, right? You ever had dreams where you wanted to know what that means? Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. And that, if you're before a king, that's probably a nice thing to say whenever you're before a king. May the king live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. Right? The king made up his mind already. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Come on, anybody love to be under king like that? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. <laughs> so I mean, what do you say? If you, what do you say? Do, do you make something up? Right? Odds, are, odds aren't on your side, right? Verse 10. Let's go down to verse 10. The astrologers answered the king. Okay. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magicians or enchanters or astrologers. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. This made the king angry and furious, and he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. What do we find in chapter 1? Daniel and his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they become part of this wise men. So without any fault of their own, they've been ordered to be executed, right? This is the reality Daniel finds himself in, that when the king wakes up grumpy, people die. People die. Does that ever happen in your own household? Maybe people won't die, but when someone wakes up grumpy, oh my goodness, let's watch out. Oh, oh my goodness. Do you ever wake up, wake up grumpy and that's it, heads are going to roll. Okay, here we go. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heavens concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night... The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, and this is where Daniel breaks out in a song. All right, you probably didn't realize this, but the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel is a musical. It really is. Man, isn't life a musical? We find ourselves in a musical. Well, this is it. The book of Daniel is a musical. We find ourselves in a musical. Here's the thing. Why is there a musical in the middle of Daniel? What's really interesting is that whenever you read passages in the Bible, 
whenever you go along and uh, whenever, whenever an author puts in a poem within the story, right? It's a clue for you to take notice of the poem. What's in the poem? Because what's in the poem are all the key vocabulary and the themes of the whole story. So the next time you read your Bible and you find a poem in the middle of any passage, any passage, stop, read it, and there you'll begin to see the themes. Okay, so are you ready? Are you ready to get into this song, the song that Daniel breaks out into? Here we go. Let's look at it together. This is the song. Praise be to the name. Oh, no, I'm not going to sing it. Okay, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to break out in a song. Okay. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and season. He deposes, deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and, and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with Him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Praise God because of what? Because he is wise. He is wise. God knows where history is going. And David discerns in this vision that the king of the world is not Nebuchadnezzar. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel goes to the king, right? Here we go. We are now in verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Right, and let's go down to verse 31. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue. Stood this large statue. Now in Hebrew, the word for statue is the word selim. Selim. It can also be described, it can also be translated as image, as image. This is what can, can be described there. And here's this image that the, that the king sees, this great, this, this, great, this great image. So the dream is about this image. This is what it is. This word salam, the image, this is what the dream is about. Let's get back into the verse. An enormous, dazzling image, awesome in appearance, The head of the image was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like shaft on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the image became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. So this is the image, right? This is the image. <laughs> it's like this rock comes down like a meteorite, just comes and it smashes this image, this impressive image. It just smashes it, right? 
Let's get into verse 37. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. Your hands, he has placed all mankind. And take note of this. And the beast of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Now, where else in the Bible? Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that before? Where, where, where God has given, given humanity responsibility. Where God has given humanity responsibility to rule over the beast on the ground and the birds of the air. Yeah, that's right. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis, this is a hyperlink. This is, this is the picture when we're reading Daniel. Also, the author wants you to have Genesis in your mind. We, 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 where Genesis 1 talks about the responsibility of humans. Except humans were never meant to rule over other humans. This was never meant of the original, the original ideal. Let's go to verse 39. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of, it, of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture of will not, and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. As we know, iron and clay do not mix. So what we see in this, this image is that all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world are symbolized in the dream with what? With one salem, one image. All the kingdoms of the world are represented by one image. Okay, now where else in the Bible do we see something represented as an image? That's right, we're already thinking about it. Genesis chapter 1. What do we find in Genesis chapter 1? It's the same word here, Salem. That God created humanity in his own, his own what? His own Salem. His own image. It's the same word. That God created humanity in his own image. See, they're meant to rule as God's representative. To extend God's love and its creativity right throughout God's beautiful world. But what have we seen in history, right? With humanity. What have we seen? Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something happens when people get a bit of power. Have you noticed that? Something happens to people. We kind of, some people change. Some of us change when we get a little bit of power. All of a sudden, it's all about protecting my own self-interest at the expense of others. When a king gets a bit too much power, something happens and changes you when, when you become the manager of Starbucks, right? When you become a manager of something. Have you ever noticed that? You ever had a team leader? They were nice until they became the team leader. Something changes in them. Or maybe within your own family, whether you're leading in your family. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. And Nebuchadnezzar is being reminded that he is not God. Nebuchadnezzar, you are not God. Actually, God is the true king of history. And what you are, Nebuchadnezzar, you are an image. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves, we are just an image. That's all we are. 
Nebuchadnezzar, you're just the head in this image. That's all you are. See, there's another king, kingdom coming after you. Your kingdom is not forever. There's another kingdom coming after you and another kingdom after that and another kingdom after that. Do you notice there's a material downgrade? A material downgrade as the kingdoms go throughout history, right? When human beings begin to idolize their own power and authority, what happens is that it goes from great to good to okay, then from bad to worse. We've got to be very careful not to be idolizing power and authority. Because when we begin to idolize power and authority, it's all downhill from there. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Oh, here we go. What kingdom is that? All the other kingdoms came crashing down. What's king, what kingdom is this? Nor will, it, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So the vision concludes with this rock, right? It's a rock that's not excavated by human hands, right? It's this idea that it's not by human power that this rock comes. This rock that destroys this image and crumbles it, this rock grows into a huge image, which is quite amazing because when a meteorite hits, what do you get? You get a crater. Well, this is the opposite. You don't get a crater. You get a huge mountain. It just grows into this huge mountain. So what does this rock symbolize? What does this rock symbolize? It symbolizes the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So what does vision fosters? It fosters that all human kingdoms and governments, they are not permanent. All human kingdoms and all governments are not permanent. They come and they go. See, this is the hope. This is the, the hope that inspires Daniel to keep resisting the currents that he finds himself in the society where he is and Babylon. It, gives, it inspires him because he, he knows that what he's in, what's pushing against him, it's not going to be forever. It's not going to be this way forever. COVID is not going to be this way forever. You need to know this. It's not going to be like this forever. And this is what this dream inspires us. When we read this, it inspires you. It should inspire you. This lockdown we're in, it's not going to be forever. And we go on. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. You can trust this. This comes directly from God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do? He begins to worship Daniel. He worships. He's a pagan king. He's worshiping. He's prostrating before Daniel. He's worshiping him. This is what he says. And he paid him honor and, and he ordered that that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and, and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. He's worshiping Daniel, but he's actually worshiping the God that's behind Daniel. So remember Daniel's song, right? Who is the true king of history? Who is a true one with power and wisdom and reveals mysteries? It's the God of Daniel. Verse 48. Let's finish off this chapter. It's a big, long chapter. Then the king placed Daniel in high positions and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. 
Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go. <laughs> Chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Okay, so Daniel remains at the royal court, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're out. They're out. They're not in the court. They're out and about. So here's this image. Let's have a look at this image. This, this rock, this meteor, meteorite rock just smashes this image. Let me ask you this question. Is this a violent image? Does this look violent? And the answer is yes. It's a violent image. It's smashing this image. It's violent. It's, it's really violent. And you know what's really interesting? There was this Jewish historian. His name was Josephus. Now, this Josephus, this historian, he worked for the Roman Empire. He came, he was just after the time of Jesus. He, he was working for the Roman Empire just after the time of Jesus. And, and just after the time of Jesus, there was all these, there was, there was a revolt against the Roman Empire. And Josephus is writing down, he's writing down why this revolt took place. There were these, 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 these Jewish freedom fighters. They're fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for the freedom. In fact, the, the, the Roman Empire, they called them terrorists, right? But they were these these freedom fighters fighting for their freedom. And they went to war against Rome, right? And then Rome went in and totally wiped out, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything. And so Josephus, he's recording this down. He's, he's writing it down. And this is what he writes. He says that these freedom fighters, they were inspired by a passage in the Hebrew scriptures. They were inspired by this passage in the Old Testament. Do you know what passage that they were inspired by? Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 is a dangerous passage. It's a dangerous passage. Come on, you need to, we need to hear this. It's very dangerous. Wars throughout history has, has been inspired by the interpretation of this, this passage. These, these freedom fighters, they, they read that, that, that God's going to come and smash the, the kingdoms of, the, of this world. And they were all too happy to help God smash all these kingdoms. And we'll help you bring your kingdom here on earth. And it inspired them to stand up, to rise and fight for their freedom. It inspired them to do this. And this is what, we, what we're reading. And this is their interpretation of it. But us as followers of Jesus... As followers of Jesus, it's really important for us to, to interpret Daniel 2 and how Jesus interpreted it. How did Jesus interpret Daniel chapter 2? What's really interesting is that when Jesus arrives on the scene, he went around, he was acting, he was talking, he was before, before, performing miracles. He was acting and talking like as if he was Yahweh, as if he was God. And his primary message was this, was that the kingdom of God is at hand. This is his primary message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Have we heard that before? Right? It's the rock. This rock that smashes the image. The kingdom of God. And here's Jesus. He goes around pronouncing it. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Here it is. And let me tell you something. There was excitement. There was excitement in the nation. It was all buzzing. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. Could it be? Could Jesus, could Jesus be this rock? Could he be the one that will smash the Roman Empire? Could he be the one that's going to lead the, the freedom fighters to, to throw off the shackles of the empire, the, the evil, the evil um, Roman Empire? 
Could he be the one? The, the evil galactic empire, if you're watching Star Wars, the evil Roman empire. Could Jesus be this one? Right? And what do we see? Three years as Jesus ministering throughout, throughout the lands there, as he goes around ministering. At the end of three years, Jesus comes riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And what happens? The people, they're excited. Why are they excited? Because Jesus, he's preaching the kingdom of God is here. And they're throwing down their coats and they're putting their palm trees, putting on the ground. They're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're excited. Why? Because they have Daniel chapter 2 in their heads. And they're saying, yes, here he is. He is the one. Jesus is the one. He's going to lead the resistance. He's the one that's going to smash the Roman Empire. He's going to lead the resistance uh, and bring freedom for our people. He's going to be our freedom fighter. This is what they're thinking. So what do we read at the end of the week? Jesus is there for that week. And at the end of the week, he's having this last meal. This last meal with his disciples. And he's speaking to them. He's teaching. And at at the end of chapter 16, when he's having this meal, at the end of chapter 16, verse 33, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Which you'll be thinking, what, what, what do you mean, Jesus? Wait, aren't we coming here to throw off the Romans? This is what his disciples are thinking. Isn't this why we're here? Right, and that you, you're gonna be, your name's going to be great, and because we're your followers, we're going to be great as well. Isn't that, what we, isn't that why we're here? Then he goes on, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And the Greek word for overcome is the word nikau, nikau. This, word, this Greek word nikau can be translated as to overcome or to conquer, to conquer. This is what this word means, to conquer. So Jesus' final words in John chapter 16 is, I have, I have conquered the world. I have conquered the world. And they're like, okay, okay, come on, Jesus. Yeah, yes, you have conquered the world. This is our moment. This is our time. It's here. We have conquered the world. Here we go. Jesus, he's about to lead us into victory. This is their moment, right? So how does Jesus go about smashing the kingdoms of the world? How does he do this? What do we find? As soon as he says this, Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane. He gets arrested. He's put on trial. He's whipped and he's beaten. The soldiers mock him and they put a robe, a royal robe around him. They give him, put a scepter in his hand and on his head they place a crown, a crown made of thorns. And then they lift him up. They exalt him. They enthrone him, not onto a throne, but onto a torture device, an execution device, the cross. And they put this title above him, this big plaque that says that he is the king of the Jews. So how does he smash the kingdoms of the world? How does, he, how does Jesus conquer the world? I've come to conquer the world. How does he do this? He conquered the world by being conquered by the world. See, God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Nobody saw this coming. The disciples didn't see this coming. Nobody saw this coming. So how do we smash the kingdoms of the world? 
How do we do this? How do we begin to, to outwork this in our everyday life? By becoming freedom fighters? No. No. By loving our enemies. By forgiving those who have offended us. By reaching out to the vulnerable and those who are misfortune. This is how Jesus interprets Daniel chapter 2. So what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? When you show up to work and there are co-workers who think you are a fool because you are a Christian. And they don't hesitate to let you know this. When you have family members who think you are brainwashed and you have friends who no longer want to be friends anymore. How do you stay confident in a crisis? When you're swimming against all of that. By the vision of Daniel chapter 2. See, our identity, our identity is not found in something that is impermanent. It's not found in something impermanent, but on the Word of God that is permanent. That is what our identity is, is based upon, upon this rock that grows up to be this mountain and nothing can overcome it. Come on. This is where we place our identity. Come on. He that is in you. You need to know this. No matter what's going on around you, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Because what's in the world is not permanent. But he that is in you is permanent. That's who you place your confidence in. That's who you place your identity in. Not in things that don't last, but in things that last. The Word of God lasts forever and ever. Whatever you are going through right now is not forever. Whatever you are going through right now is not forever. If God is for you, who can be against you? Whatever's going, whatever's coming against you, whatever current is coming your way, that is not going to be forever. No matter what's going on in your marriage, maybe you, you, you've been in a relationship and it's ended. And you think to yourself, I can never get into a relationship. You find yourself in, this, in a season of a slump. Let me tell you something. It's not going to be forever. It's not going to be forever. You find yourself without a job. You find yourself without any hope. Come on, put your hope in something that's permanent. It's not going to be forever. If God is for you, who can be against you? Daniel found himself in Babylon. The currents of that society is pushing against him. What gave him hope was Daniel chapter 2. Hey, you know what? None of this is permanent. If you're, if you're Israelite, you're living in Babylon and you, you saw King Nebuchadnezzar ruling over you and you're thinking to yourself, oh, wow. And all you saw was the Babylonian Empire. And you thought to yourself, well, I guess Babylon is going to be forever and ever and ever. Guess what? The Medes and the Persians came and, and they thought, wow, you know, the Persian Empire. That's going to be forever and ever. Then the Alexander the Great turns up. And they whoa, the Greek Empire. That's going to be forever and ever. And then Rome turns up. Persecuting and killing Christians. The, this empire came to destroy the rock. And if you lived during those times, you looked at the Roman Empire, and you thought, wow, this Roman Empire is going to be forever and ever and ever. 2,000 years later, 
There's no more Babylonian Empire, no Persian Empire, no Greek Empire, no Roman Empire. But the kingdom of God still stands. This is where you place, this is where you place your identity. This is what anchors your confidence. When you find yourself in a, in a crisis, it's not going to be forever. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. If God is for you, who can be against you? Come on. See, don't get me wrong. There are currents in our society that, that, that's, that's good. Honestly, I love swimming with the currents. There are things in our society that we can jump in, right? But Daniel, Daniel, he dressed like the Babylonians. He spoke like the Babylonians. He had a government job. <laughs> that was fine. There was no problem having a government job. He, he worked for them. Right? But it's about recognizing when the currents go against the Word of God. Because the Word of God is permanent. It's permanent. So how do we respond? By becoming freedom fighters? No. By truth and grace. Truth and grace. And just like Daniel, God doesn't call you out of the world, but He puts you in the world to build His kingdom right where you are. He's placed you in your family. He's placed you in your workplace. He's placed you in your, your, those areas of education. Where, wherever you are, you're being placed there to build God's kingdom. You are the light to the world. You are the light to your workplace. You are the light to your family. You are the light to wherever God places you. Come on, solo mum. Come on, retiree. Come on, family of seven. The trouble you see is not going to be forever. Whatever you are going through right now is not forever. If God is for you, who can be against you?